Our psalm this morning is Psalm 65, to the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain. For so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. I want to invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Psalm 65. And uh, we're in a season now prior to uh, the holidays of heading into our last section of book two of the Psalms. Last year we covered book one. Uh, In the next few weeks we'll be wrapping up book two. And we're labeling book two uh, of the Psalms blessed. Um, Have you ever pondered? how blessed you really are when you think about all that's going on in the world and all the people of the world. um, We've got so much that we have been blessed with. And this is going to be the thing that takes us up to the holidays. Now, I am not a prophet, and I'm not the son of a prophet. But I know something very personal about you today. You are a worshiper. That's what you were created for. That's who you are deep down inside. It's what you do as well as who you are. The question is, who or what are you worshiping? Worship tells us what we value most in life. It might be a relationship. It might be a dream. It might be friends or status or stuff. It might be pleasure or power or some position that you want to aspire in life. It might be sports like football or baseball or basketball or maybe like when I was growing up, horseback riding or race car driving. It might be family or health or work. 
It could even be church activity. But whoever and whatever it is, you are a worshiper. We all worship. And this is vitally important because worship determines our actions. Uh, worship defines the driving force behind all that we are and all that we do. So how do we know what we're worshiping or how do we know whom we are worshiping? Not many people are going to go around saying, you know, I worship my stuff or I worship my Xbox or I worship my status on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or I worship my job or I worship my body or I worship my family and so forth. But you know and I know that actions speak louder than words, don't they? And our worship is more than what we sing or say, rather our worship is what we actually do. We've had a chance this morning to experience um, a great time of worship so far. And you have an opportunity to continue to worship through the rest of this hour, rather than just checking out. But I pray that you will determine the value of your heart by what you put into listening to God's Word as we give, us, give ourselves an opportunity to worship Him today. See, worship is the activity of the human soul. Worship displays the reality of your life and my life. It's kind of like if you could just imagine this big display case. And inside that display case is who you really are and what you really worship. And that's what David is challenging us to look at today. So who or whatever you wake up thinking about first thing every morning, whoever or whatever you think about the last thing before you go to bed at night, that's really what you worship or who you worship. Psalm 65 challenges our actions. David taught us how to worship and who to worship and why to worship God alone. He did this in very challenging times in his life. You know, we think we're going through some struggles right now. David had much more difficult challenges and struggles in life than you and I will ever have. And yet he faced every challenge that you and I face, and even more, with his highest priority being to keep God in first place in his life. Keeping God as the highest priority in his thoughts, as well as in his actions. Now, he didn't succeed all the time, and neither will you, neither will I. But there is no doubt about where David's priority was. And as we look at this psalm this morning, we're going to see where David targeted his worship. And I pray that you and I will follow the same pattern of David. Will your worship be spent on what matters most? Not just today, but every day of your life. David praises God for four attributes and we should praise God for these four attributes as well. So why should we praise God? Let's see 
what draws every person to God according to the life of David. First of all, if you have your Bible open now, keep it open to Psalm 65. We're going to walk through this passage. First of all, praise God for His glory. Praise God for His glory. Uh, in verse 1, he says, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Now, the dictionary has a couple of different meanings for the word glory. Uh, the first definition, glory is defined as high renown or honor won by notable achievements. And we're going to look at that. We're going to see that in this psalm today. The first definition, though, that we see in the dictionary that defines glory is magnificence or beauty. You know what glory is when you look at a diamond ring and hold it up to the sun. You see the different facets, the different colors that just burst from that particular uh, item that God created. David saw God and his relationship with God as the most glorious thing on planet earth. To truly know God is to know Him in His splendor and in His glory. And David knew that from personal experience. His lifelong relationship with God was a glorious experience. And yours can be as well. Yet David knew that he had not experienced the full glory of God and that most people miss God's glory altogether while we live here on this earth. That's a sad thing that's reflected here in verse 1. David was longing for that anticipated glorious fellowship with God. And so he opens up this song by saying, Praise waits for you, O God, in silence. Now that's a strange phrase. We usually don't relate praise to silence, do we? But that's the way David opens this psalm. Imagine with me, I want you to use your imagination for just a minute. Imagine with me that you are at a concert and your favorite entertainer is about to come out on stage for this concert. Uh, I don't know who your favorite entertainer is, Taylor Swift or the Jonas Brothers. I don't know who your favorite uh, entertainer is. But whoever that is, you are waiting in anticipation for that entertainer to come out on the stage. The time comes for the curtain to open and the concert to begin. And you're sitting on the edge of your seat just ready to burst into applause. Ready to show your uh, appreciation for that particular entertainer. And the curtain opens. And yet there is total silence. And the silence continues. And the silence continues. And the silence continues. That's the beginning that we have to Psalm 65. Psalm 65 begins with silence. And the superscript prepares us for the song, but the song is silence. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And I want you to really concentrate on a couple of these reasons that David could open this song of praise with silence. 
First of all, the, the majesty of God was breathtaking for David. I mean, you think about the glory of God, you think about the majesty of God, and you think about the fact that you have the opportunity to come into the presence of holy God. And that takes your breath away. You're awestruck. His glory, His magnificence, His beauty is so awesome that it leaves you speechless. It leaves you totally in silence. That was the posture of David as he began this song. Let me ask you, have you had that kind of experience with God? Have you drawn close enough to him where he's not just a name in a book or he's not just somebody that you've heard people talk about in church, but you actually have been drawn into his presence and his presence, his glory, has taken your breath away? I pray that you have had that experience and you will continue to have that experience. It takes you dwelling in the presence of God long enough and spending time in silence long enough until you literally see Him for all of His glory. And then when you see Him for all of His glory, no words can express that beauty. No words can express that glory. Do you allow His presence to take your breath away like David did. Verse 2, he continues and he says, O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. Now again, this is an interesting concept. God answers prayer. You know that, don't you? God has given us the opportunity to communicate with Him. Not just talk to Him, but listen to Him, to Truly communicate with Him through prayer. And so you and I need to be communicating with God. We need to be drawn into His presence like David was drawn into His presence through dedicated and devoted times of prayer. David affirmed that the day is coming though when all people everywhere will be drawn into the presence of God. In fact, the Bible says it this way, every knee one day will bow. And every tongue will confess, giving praise to God. In Isaiah chapter uh, 45 and verse 23, that's exactly what the Bible says. And then the New Testament takes a different uh, approach. It says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In John, 11, John 13, 13, and Romans 14, 11, and Philippians 2, 10, and Revelation 5, 13, over and over and over again. The Bible relates to this truth that one day every knee will bow. That's yours. That's mine. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's an awesome experience, a glorious experience. But listen to me. It's also a sobering experience. Because in order for you to praise God throughout eternity, you must trust Him and give praise to Him now while you're here on this earth. If you miss that opportunity to give praise to Him here on this earth, you are going to miss the glorious opportunity to experience presence with Him throughout eternity and glory with Him forever and ever and ever. Don't miss that opportunity 
If you've never bowed your knee and expressed that Jesus is Lord, we want to give you an opportunity to do that today so you can join David in spending not just time on this earth, but anticipate time throughout eternity giving that wonderful glory to God. At 6.05 this past Wednesday morning, we gathered here as we do every Wednesday morning at 6 o'clock for our prayer time, our corporate prayer time. And Kyle led us in an exercise where he challenged us to spend the first few minutes of our prayer time giving praise to God, giving glory to God. That should be the kind of posture that we spend every day in our life, in prayer and praise to God because of His glory. When you know God in His glory, you can't help but praise Him. So let me ask you, are you doing that? Are you praising God? Praise Him in the morning, praise Him at the noontime, praise Him when the sun goes down, praise Him when it's bedtime. Give Him praise to God because of His glory. Don't wait. Praise God now while you're here on this earth. Second reason David gives to praise God is found in verses 3 and 4. Praise God for His grace. Not only do we praise God for His glory, we praise God for His grace. In verse 3, the Bible says, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Now there's some powerful words in this phrase, beautiful words for you and me today. See, the primary reason that David was offering praise to God was for God's atoning grace. David grieved that his people had rejected God, but he was drawn to praise God because God hadn't given up on them yet. And listen, if you haven't come to the place in your life where you're giving praise to God constantly, God hasn't given up on you either. He's given you an opportunity today to be drawn into His presence and to experience His grace, His atonement that David was talking about here. Grace... Is one of God's greatest gifts to you and me. This word that's translated in the ESV in the English Standard Version as atone, sometimes maybe in your translation is translated forgiveness, and that's a good word for it, but uh, atonement is more than just forgiveness. Atonement is the act of God forgiving your sins and then removing the penalty of the guilt of your sins from you. And the beautiful picture is that God has taken the payment for the penalty of your sins on Himself. He bore them on Himself. The word atone literally means to cover. It's a covering. And what God has done for you is given you the opportunity to live in freedom from the penalty of your sin. I don't know of a more beautiful picture on planet Earth than that. Justice requires full payment for transgressions. And David knew that. But David also knew the power and the humbling spirit that he had because God had forgiven him of his heinous sins. And you can live with that same kind of feeling as well. Atonement literally 
is God taking the punishment, the judgment required for your sins on himself. Now, I don't know about you, but that's amazing grace to me. Amazing grace. And David only had a glimpse of God's amazing grace. Only in the New Testament do we see how radical God's grace really is. Even though we have rebelled and sinned against Him, God brings us near to live in His courts, not simply as guests, but as His children, as His heirs. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, the Bible says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see yourself in that number? Who is giving highest praise to God because God has brought you home to live in His family? To make you an heir of His through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Once again, if you've not experienced that, please experience that grace of God today. Jesus died to make you and me His brothers and sisters. And our salvation is totally free. It's a free gift from God. Not of anything we can do. Not of any work we can do. It's a gift of God. But it was totally costly to Him. It wasn't free to Him. It cost Him His eternity in heaven coming down here to earth and living as a man and dying on the cross to set you and me free from the penalty of our sin by shedding His own blood. What a powerful word and picture. This idea of God's atonement. In verse 4, he says, Blessed is the one you chose to bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your people. Every single experience you have in worship must begin with confession and repentance of sin. Are you aware of the weightiness of your sin? Are you aware that your rebellion against God, your sin, separates you from God? God is inviting you to receive His forgiveness and be welcomed into His courts as you confess your sin and receive His payment for the penalty of your sin, His atonement. And David points out the reality that you can only choose God because He first chose you. He's drawing you to Himself today, so give your life to Him. Open your heart up to Him. David longed for the day when his people would join him in the holiness of God's temple. He had that special place that he called the temple of God in Jerusalem where for him, it was the tabernacle. The temple had not been built yet, but it was the dwelling place of God. 
He longed for that day when God's people would be His gathered people, gathering together, worshiping in spirit and in truth. For you today, that should be this church. That should be this gathering place for God's gathered people to treasure that experience of coming together and giving praise to God in, in worship. But David also had his private times of worship, his private places of worship, and you and I should as well. Every day we should open up our lives to worshiping God by being drawn by His grace into His presence to give glory and grace, praise to Him. See, private worship is critical to the believer. It's critical to your spiritual life and your spiritual growth. Not only on Sunday, but every day of the week, we should be like David and constantly be looking for the presence of God to pour out our praise to Him because of His amazing grace. During, during my formative years, early years of life, I witnessed this in the life of a man who graduated from high school with my dad. This guy's name was Marshall Kilcrease, and he accepted God's salvation, and out of his salvation experience, God called him to take his family of seven to be a missionary in Brazil. And every three or four years when he would come home on furlough, he would stay at his mom and dad's house, which was a few miles from our house. And I would hear him talk about those early morning experiences that he had on a stump behind his dad's house in the woods where he would go and he would meet God. That was his special place. Do you have a special place where you meet God every day? I pray. I pray that you do. And then Marshall would bring his family together with us on Sundays and worship as the gathered body of Christ. He had a great complement of private worship and public worship, and he set an example that I will never forget, and I try to emulate as well. Every day, every day, God's grace is available to wash over your life and guide your life and guard your life and set you free from whatever sin you may have committed the day before or even in that day. God's grace, which He has freely poured out on you and me, is available to you and me to be like David, the source, the source of praise in our life. So is God's grace today drawing you to praise God on a daily, regularly, everyday basis? And is it drawing you to praise Him in a corporate way like we're doing here today, week after week after week? David praised God for His glory, also praised God for His grace, and then thirdly, he praised God for His greatness, for the greatness of God. We see this in verses 5 through 8. In verse 5 and 6, he says, By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the Father seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might. David praised God for the greatness of God. He understood what God had done through his righteousness and salvation and hope and strength. Do you see that in verse 5? Righteousness, salvation, hope. In verse 6, his strength. 
I hope you're aware that for you and me today, the only true righteousness and salvation and hope and strength that you and I have for navigating the struggles of life comes as a gift from God. He wants to pour those attributes into our life. And David gives vivid examples of how this works its way out in our life. In verse 6, he says, The one who by his strength established the mountains. That's part of the great acts, the great deeds of God. He established the mountains, girded with might. In verse 7, stills the roaring seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. You make the going out in the morning and the evening to shout for joy. David knew that God formed the mountains like he did everything else out of nothing. He formed them out of nothing. But he not only formed them, he controls them. A time is coming, as this verse points out, when all war and strife and conflict and oppression will be ended. There will be no more sadness, there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more wars. But David knew that time had not yet arrived, and neither is it has for you and me today. In the best of times, and in the roughest of times, God is the Savior and the hope of those at the farthest ends of the earth. Now I want us to understand a couple of things about how God has chosen to work in human history. And this starts at the beginning of the Bible and goes through the end of the Bible. God's salvation began in the Garden of Eden. When he provided coverings for Adam and Eve from the skins of animals. Why did he do that? Blood had to be shed to pay the price for the penalty of sin. Because sin separated Adam and Eve from the relationship they had with God. Just like your sin and my sin separates us from the relationship that we crave and want to have with God. And so... God had to provide a salvation through the shed of the blood of animals to cover the sin of mankind. His salvation then continued as he made a covenant with Abraham's family, who then became the nation of Israel. And now, through the generations, has spread throughout every nation on planet Earth. Every nation, every race, every language, every ethnic origin, and every geographical location. God's salvation is spreading around the world. Now, this is, a, this is a very deep and vast message for another day, but we have to prepare our hearts for the diversity that God has created among His people throughout this earth because there's going to be a diversity of people in heaven. And to the degree that we can celebrate God's diversity here on this earth will be the joy that we have in our life when we're gathered together in heaven for eternity with all these diverse types of people. People who are different socially and economically and racially and politically and every other way. 
God is a God of diversity. And he calls forth songs of joy from all people of all times. And fortunately, that includes you and me today. And every other person who's been created on planet Earth. As I said before, David didn't see the fulfillment of this in his time, nor have we seen it in our time. But it's going to happen. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. And those who choose to know God and love Him and follow Him and praise Him here on this earth are going to spend eternity together as the family of God, worshiping and praising Him. A few years ago, Gail and I had the opportunity of seeing the greatness of God in our baptism at the Jordan River. Some of you have been there, and some of you have had that experience. It was a breathtaking experience to, to just witness every tongue and every tribe and every nation symbolically celebrating God's grace to us in the water at the same time. I mean, it was a beautiful picture looking up and down that little stretch of the Jordan River. We couldn't help but praise God for His greatness and the diversity of His creation as we celebrated that experience. And I pray that you are celebrating that same kind of experience with every person that God has created and put on planet Earth today because God is a great God. So praise God for His glory, praise Him for His grace, praise Him for His greatness, and then finally praise Him for His goodness. Praise Him for His goodness. David knew God in all of His goodness. You've heard it said, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. We sang about it this morning. In verse 9, look at how that plays out in the heart and song of David. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together with joy. See, David reminded us that God himself cares for the world that he made. He waters it. He fertilizes it. The cycles of growth and fertility are grounded by His own life-giving nature. God is the author of all of life. From the life of a flower to the birth of every baby. We've had three born this past week from our church circle. To the new birth that saves eternally. And I pray this morning that there will be someone here for the first time in your life who will give your heart to Jesus 
in his new birth. God is the author of all of that. God is a good God, and He gives us the opportunity to know Him. He gives life to all things. His Spirit cultivates the soil and prepares the heart of every soul as well. So both the farmer and the preacher have dignity in the eyes of God and everybody in between. From how we treat the earth He created to how we treat souls that he created. Believers should be at the forefront of those who care for God and his creation. Because when we care, when we truly care, it brings joy to him and joy to us. God's goodness brings joyful praise to the heart of the believer. God's goodness draws us to praise Him. We had an experience yesterday that was an awesome experience uh, for me. It kind of brought this all to life. I've been pondering over this psalm for the last week or so. And our grandson is a year and a half and he's starting to observe and look at things. He's, he has all these books, and they have animals inside these books where, you know, the animals make noises, and he looks at the pictures of the noises, and he points at the animal and says, bah, bah, or moo, moo, or wee, wee, that kind of thing. Yesterday, we had the opportunity to take the pictures from the book and put them with real live animals at the zoo. And his whole perspective will forever be changed. My prayer is that you're not just experiencing God from the book, although you need to stay in the book, but God is more than just in a book. God is a real person. He's a personality who is glorious and gracious and great and good. And my prayer is that you will come to know him and experience him in real life. Real life. What draws every person to worship God is drawing you to worship him right now. So praise God for his goodness. Praise him for his greatness. Praise him for his grace and praise him for his glory. And you can do that best when you know him personally. I've been blessed over the last... 15 years or so, to physically be able to run 15 marathons. And that's not such a big deal. But it is kind of an accomplishment that I treasure. I remember the first one that I ever ran. Uh, I signed up to run the marathon with two of my friends. And we started training in June for the Kiowa Marathon, which was the first week in December. And... The first week in June, we started running, and three miles into our first run, one of the guys said, I can't do it anymore, and he turned around, and he walked back home, and he never ran with us anymore. If I called his name, some of you would know him, so I'm not going to embarrass him that way. But the other guy, about two weeks later, who had signed up to run with me, pulled a muscle in a training run, and he never ran anymore with me. And so July through December, I trained by myself. And occasionally I'd run with some of the other guys around town. But it was a, a great experience. 
Here's what I remember most about that experience. The morning of the run, I drove over to the house of one of the guys who worked at Pepper Gettings, Danny West, and his wife Susan, and they were going down to run, and so I rode in the back seat, they were in the front seat, and going down to Kiowa, we had not gotten out of Horry County yet into Georgetown County, and Danny looked around at me and he said, how many marathons have you run? I said, none, this is my first one. He said, you're not running the whole thing, are you? I said, yeah, aren't you? He said, no, I'm running the 5K. <laughs> Susan run the 5K with me. Now again, what I remember most as Danny looked back and occasionally he would turn his head around and he would say, I'm worried about you. I don't know if you ought to run the whole thing or not. I'm, 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 I'm concerned about it. He just mumbled under his, all the way to Cuba. He just kept mumbling, you know. I don't know if you ought to run it or not. Well, here's what I remember most about that marathon. I don't remember much about the training. I don't even remember much more about the ride to Kiowa. I don't remember the jackrabbit start. I didn't know how to run a marathon, so I just ran as fast as I could, as far as I could, until I ran to run out of breath. And I was exhausted when I hit that 20-mile wall, which everybody who runs marathons early in that experience did. But I hit the wall, I ran through it, and it was uh, still... Uh, something that I knew I was going to accomplish. But after running 26 miles, I came to that point at Kiowa where they had this giant chute down the finish line. And I came up to that giant chute on the finish line, only had two-tenths of a mile to go. And I'm telling you, friends, I was totally exhausted at that point. My chest was bloody because I didn't have on the right kind of clothes. My feet were bloody because I had on the wrong kind of shoes. But I'd put all I could into that run. And I got up to that chute. And the thing that I remembered most and I remember today most about that marathon was when I got to enter that chute, I looked over to the right, and there was the face of my wife and son. And when I saw their face... I just broke down and cried like a baby. I ran the last two miles just sobbing. Their face, the picture of their face, the joy on their face, the celebration in their heart saying, come on, Dad, run, 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 was so humbling to me. One day we're going to stand before God. And it might not be too long. We're going to stand before God and the silence is going to be broken. We're going to see the face of Jesus close up for the first time. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The silence will be broken and we'll see Jesus. And my prayer for you and me is that we won't miss that moment. That that moment will be a time of joyous celebration for us. Because we have experienced the atoning work of Jesus Christ in our life. And we've accepted his free gift of salvation by saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I repent of my sin. And I believe that Jesus died for my sin. As I repent of my sin and turn away from it, God, thank you for saving me. And I want to spend the rest of my life and the rest of eternity giving praise and glory to you. God is a glorious God. He's a gracious God. 
He's a great God. He's a good God. And I trust that you know him personally. Father, thank you today that we have this opportunity to worship you. We have this opportunity to give praise to you. We have this opportunity to celebrate you in all of your fullness, in all of your glory. God, thank you for your grace. I pray that everyone here today will experience that grace and express the gratitude of our heart for that grace by giving our life to you. And by moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, lifting up our hands and giving praise to you. God, thank you for drawing us close to you in communion with you. We celebrate that now as we continue to stand together and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.